Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and a special episode of the podcast focused on weather forecasts and golf course safety. I'm Matt Lowell, the managing editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and I'm joined today by PGA Tour competitions agronomist Bland Cooper and Brad Nelson, weather operations consolidation lead at DTN, which is sponsoring this episode. Bland and Brad are tremendous together, and our conversation about weather adventures on the course and in the weather truck, and what courses big and small can do to prepare for all sorts of weather is tremendous. We talked for almost an hour, and we could have talked for two or three more if only Brad wasn't in Atlanta prepping Eastlake for the Tour Championship. Before any of that, a quick word from DTN. Having a thoughtful, comprehensive lightning safety plan in place isn't something to leave to chance. With increased weather volatility and more people hitting the links, the ability to monitor weather conditions in real time with accurate information and communicate those threats in a timely manner is imperative. Investing time and resources in a lightning safety plan with the right weather and alerting tools helps reduce potential weather safety risks. Talk with the weather experts at DTN to learn how they can help with your plans and resources to support golfers by playing it smart when it comes to weather safety. Learn more at www.dtn.com. Bland, Brad, welcome to the podcast. How are you both doing? Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. We're sitting in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a it's a cool uh, 89 degrees on its way to about 93 with a heat index of 104. So um, yeah, it's this this trailer right now. It's 66. So I'm I'm hoping this thing goes on for several hours. So I don't have to get back out there in it. <laughs> yeah, Bland, you can you can have the heat. I'm in nice and cool, overcast Minneapolis, Minnesota right now. Uh, got a temperature of about 68, and we got some heavy rain last night, so about two and a half inches of rain, which hopefully is uh, going to bust our drought here in Minnesota. In case folks listening are not familiar with either or both of you, Bland, why don't you give people a real quick background on who you are, what you do? I think a lot of people do know who you are, but just in case. Well, I'm a, a competitions agronomy official for the PGA Tour, and I've I've been out here now, I guess this is my... 16th year and so I'm responsible for 10 events primarily through the southeast is the way my schedule happens to work out and so as an agronomist I work very closely with uh, with the golf course superintendents uh, their staffs through tournament officials through our our uh, rules staff rules committee uh, also the television partners with with really kind of the big uh, you know the big machine that is the PGA tour make sure that everything that's that's going to have any impact on that golf course, the condition of that golf course is relayed to all the parties of interest uh, so that, that there are no, no surprises, right? And, and really a lot of what I do is manage expectations with, uh, with all those different entities. So it's a, it's a wonderful job. You get to work with a lot of really neat people and go to a, a lot of really nice places. So I've really enjoyed it. And yeah, very, very blessed to do what I do. And Brad Nelson? Yeah, and much much like Bland, uh, you know, I've been I'm a meteorologist, an on-site event meteorologist, and I travel as well with the PGA Tour. They are a partner of ours with uh, our weather company DTN here in Minnesota, 
Uh, I have been with DTN now for 17 years, uh, 15 of those years. I've also been blessed uh, to be able to travel with our customers and our clients on site, uh, managing weather evacuations, uh, helping them with lightning and severe weather safety plans and clearing the golf course, getting people out back out in a timely manner, helping to save some TV revenue. We really want to just delay as long as we possibly can and then go back out immediately as it's safe. But I also work with the the agronomists and the superintendents to help gain the knowledge of what the weather forecast is going to do, what the weather, how the weather is going to impact golf tournaments. And then, you know, how much rainfall they're going to get evapotranspiration rates. And I work with them to help prep the golf course so that uh, it's at the ultimate competitive level that, that it's at. So typically, you know, we, we will arrive on, Monday of tournament week in the case of Bland, he's there advance advancing right now uh, in East Lake Georgia, but we'll arrive Monday and then we'll be there through the tournament week to, uh, to help them out. So it's, it's been great, been a great career uh, for me. It's very rewarding, you know, knowing that I'm, I'm helping manage safety, keep people safe, but also help with the preparation of of the golf course. Um, We also work with uh, and numerous colleges and universities. Uh, as an example, I'm on site at all Notre Dame uh, home football games. Uh, we have various other clients that we're on site for, including uh, some offshore operations in the Gulf of Mexico, and also uh, some city and town festivals, state fairs, things of that nature. A lot of fun events. You've been there about 17 years, you said, and 15 years in your current role. Brad, how far back does DTN go? What is the the company's history? Right. So DTN goes all the way back to the early 80s, I believe, 1980. Uh, We've been around in the industry for uh, quite a long time. We've seen a a big evolution in weather support uh, and services throughout the years. We started as a small aviation company. Uh, at a at a shed basically at Minneapolis St. Paul Airport, uh, and then we transitioned out to our main office here in Burnsville, Minnesota. And as we've grown, we've you know we've grown into uh, various industries such as utilities, not just aviation utilities, DOTs or road maintenance work. You know we also do marine forecasting, really a number of different things, and and sports and entertainment and live events is you know, the main focus of today, um, that's a, uh, has been an emerging uh, market for us really since the early 1990s. And that really stemmed from what happened in golf uh, with the two tournaments, uh, the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open in 1991, uh, where lightning struck uh, spectators at both of those events and really open the door for weather decision support solutions to really take that next step forward, you know, to help these, the uh, sports industry and, and a lot of these major events. So we've been growing uh, in that field. Uh, you know, we have numerous, you know, very high profile customers like the PGA tour, uh, the NFL, uh, I've already mentioned, uh, you know, colleges and universities, uh, the premier league, in the UK, uh, and we've really grown that global footprint in the outdoor event space through the years. Bland, when did D 
DTN in particular and just meteorology and, and weather forecasting in general come onto your, no pun intended here, really, uh, onto your professional radar as a, as a tool that you would use? Well, I started out, Matt, as a, as a golf course superintendent, coincidentally in the Atlanta area, uh, and then went on to Charlotte. So, you know, my, my whole life has revolved around, around Mother Nature, and I learned early on that, that she's undefeated. And so the only way that, that you, you, can, you can kind of deal with her is to, is to try to get some insight on what she's going to do before she does it. And so, you know, the, the, whole, the whole scope of meteorology, obviously, I've had an interest in professionally for a long time. When I came to work for the tour in 2006, we had DTN was already on board. And so I had the opportunity to, to work with a, a number of these individuals over the years. And, and most of them are still, well, some of them are still around. Stuart Williams was, was on board when I, when I started. Brad was on board uh, when I started. And, and some of the new faces uh, that, that we have and Joe and, and I think Wade was also on board when I started. So I've had a, uh, had a really good relationship. And what these on-site guys have, have been They've been very kind in, in taking me kind of under their wing and listening to all my, my ridiculous questions. And I know they look at it as elementary, but, but they, they, they're very patient. And, uh, and over the years, over the past 14 years, I've become, uh, I like to say I know just enough to be dangerous, right? So, uh, you know, I'm, when, when, when our family's at the beach, you know, they look at me as a meteorologist. And, of course, what I do secretly is go into the bedroom and I'll call Brad or Stuart or somebody and say, hey, what's it doing? And then I come out and, and represent it as full information. But, you know, these obviously, as Brad was alluding to, you know, our tournaments are, they're big operations and, and they're big machines. And we have uh, tens of thousands of spectators, thousands of volunteers through all the departments. And what I do specifically on, on the golf course preparation and maintenance side, uh, we may have as many as 100 individuals on that golf course preparing it uh, in the morning and afternoon. And so we, we work in very tight windows. We play golf pretty much all day, right? When these full field events, 156 players, we're playing golf. Uh, we're starting when, when uh, you know, sunrise and playing sometimes past sunset. And so we have to work in a, in a two to three hour block, uh, both the morning and the afternoon. So knowing what the general weather is going to do in terms of, of, of temperature and, and, and rainfall is, is, uh, is crucial, right? We have to know during those windows how much we're going to get, the rate is going to, it's going to come down, the timing of it all. And to that end, these guys are, are, are critical in having that on-site information. Uh, and I can, I can go in, you know, you said, don't be talking more than six minutes at a time. I could spend a lot more <laughs> six minutes talking about them. But, but that's, that's the, uh, you know, and, but in their absence, so for advanced week where I am right now, I, I'm, I'm sitting right now in, in the chair that meteorologists will be sitting in next week. Uh, just we happen to share an office and so happen to be in here but but um but to have the ability to call these individuals and then to have the, the platforms that they have you know, available to us on the internet uh, with with their with their radars their lightning uh data is fantastic that shows you can really you can you can really pair these things down and look at the polarity of lightning strikes you know if they're cloud to ground or or, or cloud to cloud so forth and so on and then with the, the acquisition of radar scope, having the ability to look at, at things such as, you know, echo cloud tops. And in the absence of having that lightning data, you can kind of watch the cloud tops grow and, and kind of predict when weather is going to, or when lightning is going to strike based on, on your freeze layers, which are, which are easy to find. And then, you know, looking at, at tornadic activity through that super re resolution velocity, that's, 
that's those kind of things. You don't use them all the time, but they're 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 nice to have. And then you know the digitally integrated liquid, being able to tell if there's hail in a storm, and, and getting people to safety. Uh, for example, if we had a storm coming, and I went to their website and saw. Uh, those measurements getting above you know, 35, is that right, Brad? Then we probably need to get out of the, we probably need to get out of the way. And, and so- Typically, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's, uh, you know, we're spoiled and that we have these these guys on site each week at our sites and, and what they do. I mean, let's face it, the primary job as Brad alluded to that they have is, is safety and, and provide safety for not just our players and staff, but our, but our spectators, volunteers. and. And since they've been on board, we've had nobody die from a lightning strike. Now, ironically, I'm sitting 300 yards from where that lightning bolt hit a pine tree in East Lake several years ago. But what, what the, the whole story is that the on-site meteorologist during that week, Joe Halverson, detected through, through their weather data or weather instrumentation that, that lightning was going to occur. And we evacuated the golf course a half hour before that lightning strike hit. And everybody had plenty of time to get out of harm's way. Unfortunately, um, some volunteers were a little overzealous, decided to get in the golf cart and ride around, weren't supposed to be. And so those were the, well, luckily they didn't, they didn't die from it. They could have easily, easily perished. But as far as the, the responsibility of uh, the meteorologist, uh, individuals certainly did their job to get everybody out of harm's way, but that's the thing that everybody looks at, you know, the, the protection of, 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 of our, of everybody on site, the lightning or wind or, or of the sort. However, we use them as, as we'll delve into as we move on for a, for a tremendous amount of information and just, just lightning and wind. Yeah. I appreciate the kind words there, Bland. Um, it, it's interesting working with closely with the agronomists as well. You know, when we started, as meteorologists on site at PGA tour events, we didn't know how the agronomist and superintendent was actually going to take that information from us. And then we had to discern what, what are they going to do with this information? It's easy for us to give them the forecast or tell them a storm is coming or we're going to get this much rain, but we had to, you know, working with bland, they were kind enough to really kind of explain to us, what what they need to know and what they don't need to know and how that's going to impact the golf course. So it took, you know, it took a little bit of back and forth. You know, they they needed to learn meteorology and forecasting and what they were looking at on the radar, but we also in turn had to realize what they were going to do with the information they that were telling them and how they were going to prep the golf course. Same thing with the rules officials, you know, we can give them a wind forecast, but until we understand how they're actually going to do pin placements on the golf course and set up the golf course based on our wind forecast, it kind of changes what the information and how we tell them, if it's going to, if the winds are going to switch around a bit, if we're going to be more conservative on the high end of the wind forecast, you know, that all plays in the, into that uh, decision-making and the information that we're providing. Yeah. And that's crucial, Brad, R really the way this whole thing works, uh, Matt, so you know, in terms of how to pair a golf course is, we get this information from the meteorologist and then we interpret what that's going to do to the golf course. And we relay that information onto the rules officials and Brad alluded to, to wind forecast, you know, rules official, the rules officials who are responsible for setting up that week. Um, you know, a lot of their whole locations and maybe T locations are driven by that wind forecast. And especially if we have it coming out of all four directions for four days, it really has an impact on where they can go. For example, if we have a long par four or a long par three uh, and there's a bunker in front of the green, 
when we have a 25 mile an hour downwind that day, they're not going to put the flag right behind the bunker, right? They're going to maybe move it deeper into the green because there's no way to get the ball close into that environment. So, you know, as it relates to, to, to how our message to the rules officials, uh, you know, what we, what the message we give them is we can tell, them, look, we're going to have, uh, based on what Brad or, or these guys are telling us, we're going to have a half inch of rain and a half inch of rain, we're going to start having issues in these areas on the golf course, right? These particular greens are going to hold water in these particular locations. So if we have a forecast where it's going to rain off and on all day, it's important that the officials know, we look, we, we maybe can't use these low areas on the greens, right? They may have some standing water on them at, at times and, and that might prevent us from finishing around on time, which the, the whole thing is driven by television and meeting that television window, right? And so we, we're in the entertainment business at the end of the day. And so if we can't meet that TV window, it affects a lot of people, you know, financially. And so that, that's as crucial as Brad said earlier also to, to fit as much golf as we can into these windows and also to take the information they give us and not, not set the golf course up in a way that is going to expose maybe some shortfalls of the golf course with, with say drainage, you know, or, or maybe, maybe it can be something as simple as we have a tree to the right of a green that's going to, the wind is going to be blowing leaves from it all day long. And if we put the whole location on the far right side of the green, we've got blowers out there all day long, it's going to slow down play. We need to move the, those things you don't think about, but that all goes into, into setup of the golf course. And then you get into, you know, some of the more, you, you know, nuts and bolts of it, you know, things that, people really don't think about how they'd impact a golf course uh, and the way to prepare it, but you do points. Um, if you're at a site where you've been having heavy dew for, for, for the entire time you've been there, your preparation of the greens and what you're doing to them to get them to a certain speed, maybe you're getting them really close to the edge, right? And you're, you're kind of teetering on, all right, we really can't get any faster than this and still have the whole locations that, that uh, we want to use. Uh, now, all of a sudden, if, if you come in the next morning and there's no dew because of, uh, you know, the dew points have dropped and a cooler air mass, dry air mass has come in, that speed may jump up four, five, six inches if you continue to do the same thing that you've done. Now, that whole location that was selected the day before or today now may not be usable. And, you know, we're setting up the golf course in the morning. You know, like I said, we play golf from, from sunrise and, and the setup process is actually going on while plays on the golf course. Our setup officials may be on the fourth, fifth, hole by the time we tee off on one and ten well we've gone double tee starts that might be on you know four and 13 when we start to play golf in the morning now if we get to the, the 17th green for example or the eighth green for example and all of a sudden the whole location we thought we had yesterday because of maybe that dew point or, or or some other type of weather incident now we don't have it now we've got to we have to change that whole location and get information back out through the field is very cumbersome because you already have at that point, you probably have six, seven, eight, nine groups per side on the golf course that you have to go in and tell everybody in those groups. You got to be that stop, not stop play, but you have to go out in the fairway on the green and say, look, the eight hole is no longer 17 on four left. It's now whatever we've changed it to, right? So that, that, that kind of stuff that, that, that can really, it's crucial. They give us the right information and we interpret that information. And it's not to say every week we're on the edge like that, but, but you know, our job as agronomists is to, is to really push a golf course to, to the limits that it needs to be to challenge the best players in the world. And, and some courses require more of that than others. And some courses could take more of that than others, but having, uh, having these meteorologists on site and being able to, to give us this information is, it, it makes you sleep a lot easier at night. 
Extreme weather conditions can affect the viability of outdoor activities and events, increasing the risk of delays, evacuations, and postponements. Having a system in place to alert people to danger becomes more critical with this increased frequency. As the golf course superintendent, you are responsible for ensuring that guests and players and spectators and staff are all safe. Alerts that use both audio and visual warnings to clearly and immediately communicate the risk to people in the area offers you an added layer of protection. When horns and flashing lights go off, it grabs everyone's attention. Learn how the DTN OnGuard Siren Alerting Solution allows you to better manage weather threats and ensure safer, more efficient operations when you need to stop and evacuate at www.dtn.com. A question for both of you here. Bland, this is probably more relatable to when you were a course superintendent rather than uh, a champion's agronomist. And, and Brad, you know the, the technology inside and out. So in terms of breaking down the DTN technology for televised events, makes total sense. Bland, you said that helps to really keep it in that window uh, so if you have it budgeted for five hours or six hours on a Sunday afternoon, you can cut to the news, you can cut to 60 minutes or whatever follows up. For the folks who don't have uh, those televised events every year, every couple of years, I imagine it factors in on pace of play as well. And then there's obviously the safety issue. How else does DTN translate to the non-televised golf courses and, and the superintendents taking care of those courses? Yeah, so one of the things I really I like a lot of things about about the website, but one of the things I really and I follow it, obviously as an agronomist and, and, and as a superintendent also, I know that a lot of guys and girls do is is this the, the hourly forecast, right? So you can look at the hourly and it'll break down, and it'll kind of give you an idea. You know, if I see if I see 40% chance of rain at one o'clock and 0.01 inches, I feel pretty confident it's probably not going to rain. But if I see at six o'clock, 80% chance, and during that hour, it's a 0.12 inches, it's probably going to rain. And so having information, maybe if, as a superintendent, if I was going to make an application, I was worried about washing, right? Um, it was a herbicide application or, or, or fertility application, or maybe I'm overseeding or something. I don't want to go and put that product out right in front of a, of a deluge because I can well, I can lose the product and waste money or, or worse, I can move that product from someplace it's supposed to be to somewhere it's not supposed to be and cause, uh, and cause a lot of damage and, and it requires a lot of repair. So, um, and, and there's a lot of those, a lot of products, you know, pretty much every product that we apply, whether it's fungicides or herbicides or insecticides, you, you have to be cognizant of that. You have to, whether it's temperature or, or, or moisture, there's some products you can't apply on do, or you can't have to have at least six hours of of dry time on the leaf and, and knowing those hourly breakdowns and the, and the potential for that rainfall is, uh, that's crucial. You can waste three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 in a product application <laughs> like that, you know, and you gotta, and you gotta go reapply it because it's no longer, it's no longer there. Yeah. That's one of many ways actually that we use that stuff. Yeah. That hourly forecast is really critical. And, and what we also offer paired with weather century online and our mobile app, we also offer uh, weather stations, local weather stations. So you say, you're, you know, you're a superintendent, you can install a, a weather station right on your golf course. That data is actually fed back into our forecast engine. So the forecast you're looking at online is basically taking, utilizing the data that is on the golf course 
and it is taking the climatological data, past weather, and, and then incorporating that bias that might be different than the airport 20 miles away. It's taking that bias into the actual forecast to create that hyper-local forecast and useful information uh, right at the golf course, too. And you can keep track of, of rainfall uh, directly on site, you know, wind speeds, you know, even sun, uh, sun conditions as well. So what that, you know, the benefit of that is obviously you're, you're getting that hyper-local forecast. You have the, the local observations. It's all in one place in kind of a one, you know, a one-stop shop for weather information there. In regards to spraying, you know, if you have a window of time, you need, you know, four hours of good spraying conditions. We also have uh, in the product, you know, things like the executive summary. So what that is, you, you filter conditions that are critical for spray applications, and you can highlight that in an hourly or daily forecast, red, yellow, or green. And it's a simple table showing you that, oh, I got green conditions today. No worries. My winds are below 20 miles per hour. I have no precipitation. I have a, a lot of sun or partly cloudy skies. I'm good to spray. No worries there. If I have red, obviously not a good day. You know, we might have winds 30 miles an hour, some rain in the forecast. If it's yellow, you're kind of borderline and you may need to investigate more. So there's, it's, there's tools to help the end user, the superintendent's quickly discern if I have good uh, spray application times today or not. And we're not just giving the the weather forecast information and having the superintendent kind of figure it out on their own. You know, we're doing that. We're already doing that for you with the executive summary um, or the daily planners that are offered uh, within the weather century product as well. And then also, you know, Bland mentioned this earlier, utilizing radar scope high resolution radar data uh, so that you're not looking at a composite radar image that might be old or showing coarse resolution. You have the highest resolution uh, radar data available uh, to you through the, um, the radar scope product, uh, the mobile app. And then it's also also offered on desktop as well. So having that, you know, allows you not only on, for safety purposes, know when you have incle- inclement weather coming in, um, but you can pick up things like drizzle or, very light precipitation that may not be showing on, on other radar uh, applications as well. And you can imagine that's extremely important uh, for golf, golf course preparations. Even stuff like I mentioned earlier, the, the tornadic activity, you can, right. you know, away from the golf course, you're at home and, and you, maybe you're with your, your family and tornado alert comes over the, comes over the, uh, you know, the television and you can actually go to that site. You can identify exactly where the tornado is, the right it's moving and, and, um, and even see the wind speeds. And so that's, I know we had a tornado came close to our house, I guess it was last year maybe. And I could kind of follow it and see where it was going and felt comfortable knowing that it wasn't going to miss us. But that's a lot more, a uh, little peace of mind than just having that that you know, civil defense alert going off on your uh, emergency alert going off on your TV and, and, and the, the fear that kind of strikes and everybody when that happens. It's, it's a kind of a sidebar, but those are... A lot of neat functions with with that with that uh, with that application and the way that DTN has been able to integrate that radar scope into their into their radar into their software. It's um it's kind of a one stop shop really when you when you have the access to that to that website. Well, well, as you know, Bland, 
I am a storm chaser as well is my main hobby. So, <laughs> so looking for tornadic activities, yeah. kind of the ultimate goal. <laughs> so I, yeah, you're, I, you're, you're running towards it. I'm running away from it. So we'll, we'll, we'll shake hands on and go in opposite directions. I guess. That sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can chase all the storms you want. And I only just recently learned, I knew that the United States had a lot of tornadoes, but the United States accounts for anywhere between about 80 to 85% of all tornadoes, globally every year that's correct it's, a, it's about a thousand and then about a hundred more so about another eight to nine percent are canada so you're looking at 85 to 95 percent of all tornadoes in the world are in north america now obviously there's other extreme weather situations monsoons and typhoons and everything but tornadoes are a very north american thing so to have that incorporated into the tech and into what folks can can access I have to imagine is only just another selling point in addition to the lightning uh, strike safety and, and obviously just the general weather uh, accuracy and forecasting in general. Yeah. It, it, you know, that's, it's interesting you say that. Cause I mean, I think here in the U S we're just kind of used to severe weather, severe storms, tornadoes, and that's not the case globally at all. I mean, that, there's a reason why we have people from the UK, from Asia, from, Australia that come over here every year to pay to go on guided uh, storm chasing tours. I mean, because we get some of the most extreme weather in the United States. I actually, I drive for a storm chasing, I'm a guide for a storm chasing tour company, Silver Lining Tours, and I do that every year. Um, but we go up and down Tornado Alley, you know, basically putting these, these people in front of the worst mother nature can offer, obviously keeping them safe uh, in the process to a relative extent, but you know, we get people from all over the globe and it's that combination, that unique combination of the Gulf of Mexico being where it's at the flat, great plains, and then the evolution of cyclones, mid-latitude cyclones off of the, the, the Rockies, uh, where you get that moisture being pulled up all, and all that instability up and down, uh, the great plains. And it's, it's a unique combination of things is why we get severe, such severe weather, and tornadoes uh, in the central and eastern U.S. If the Gulf of Mexico honestly was not there, let's say that was a just a, a big landmass, the the Great Plains would be a desert. You know, much like uh, the deserts that we see, you know, in parts of of Asia, the Middle East, uh, even some parts of South America on the on the east side of of large mountain ranges. If we didn't have the Gulf there, that uh, the Great Plains would be uh, certainly be more desert uh, like conditions so having the golf is a, a blessing but also could be can be a curse it's, it's job security for you guys brad right <laughs> it really is i know we're we're, we're uh, it's kind of funny i had a we had a conversation a, a couple of years ago our, our playoff events on the bga tour have kind of traditionally been in chicago it, well the particular year i had a conversation with individuals our events were in chicago and, and new york and, and here in atlanta and I was being told that, you know, we really need to own the, the month of August uh, agronomically. And I said, you know, we, we're in a we're in three markets that are responsible for almost half of all of flight delays due to weather in Atlanta and Chicago and New York. I don't think we'll ever own the month of August when it comes to weather. So uh, and that's that's kind of proven to be the case. I think last week in, in New Jersey, we had, what, nine inches of rain, Brad, Sunday in with a Monday finish. And um yeah, had rain yesterday. I haven't watched it. We had rain yesterday, and now we've got a, a, a hurricane that's supposed to turn, and 
we've had this way, I guess, on, on Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and hopefully by the time it gets here, it'll lost the bulk of its punch. But uh, yeah, so if every day was uh, Reno, Nevada in, in, in June, we probably wouldn't need these guys as much, but you know, a lot of job security there for you, that's for sure. Yes, sir. Yeah, Andre uh, impacted uh, Liberty last week on the tour, and now we're going to have some impacts from Ida, currently a tropical storm, but unfortunately, it looks like uh, landfall in Louisiana, you know, Sunday night, Monday morning as a maybe probably a cat, category three, category four hurricane. Um, so you're monitoring it there, Bland, I know. Stuart will, there, will be there to help you as the on-site meteorologist, and I'm actually uh, monitoring all the Q school sites qualifying school sites for the PGA tour this week and next week and fielding a lot of questions on Ida already uh, with some tournament locations in the Southeast U S. You know, one, one thing Brad alluded to earlier was having that on-site weather station. And, and that's, it's great for somebody in, in my position because the, the sites that I'm responsible for, I can just go to my phone here and pull any of them up at any time and see how much rain they got per hour. Right. I mean, the sites I have, I have a site in Jackson, Mississippi, Sanderson Farm Championship coming up in several weeks, and that's supposed to kind of be right in the kind of crosshairs of this this storm. So I'll kind of gonna follow that closely, and and then I have some other events on the on the eastern seaboard that um, typically this time of year we watch hurricanes. So it's 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 really nice to have that those on site weather stations to get that those microclimate recordings, and I can without having to bother the superintendent calling about hey my how much rain you get how hot is it I can just go right to those those sites and see exactly what they got, and that's. It's a neat, uh, neat feature. You've both discussed so many areas where the technology is already being used. Are there any other target areas that you feel like are maybe untouched or, or at least uh, not, not used as, as widely as they should be at this point? As far as the technology, I, I'll defer to Brad on that. However, as I said earlier, these these guys have been so good at, at, at bringing people like me up to speed, at least getting me to, you know, maybe past the 101 level. And in doing so, you know, trying to build, we're, we're all we're all in the prediction model, right? I mean, or in the prediction business. They're trying to predict the weather. I'm trying to predict conditions, not just what the conditions are going to be at the beginning of the day or the first group of the day, but what they're going to be at the end of the day. You know, what is the final group of that day going to see when they're on the first green at at five o'clock and the second green at 515 and so forth and so on. And, and so we, we take a lot of that information and they give us and, and obvious stuff, temperature, obviously, and, and dew points and ET rates. But, you know, we also look at, I've been studying something the last four years, it's called precipitable water. And I'm not going to try to describe, so I'll, let, I'll let Brad describe PY, I'll try it, but I'll mess it up. So I'll just save it for him. Anyway, PY is, is a really it's a very accurate value of water in a column of air. And I've worked on, on beginning green speeds at the beginning of the day and ending green speeds in the day and, and, and look at that P-watt value during the day and have a model base where, where I can, it's extremely accurate at predicting green speed loss during the day based primarily on that, on that measurement. And so it's, it's nice to be able to go through our rules officials who are setting up in the morning and if we're going to have a high P-watt value, say 1.7, 1.8 inches, I can say, look, a lot of moisture in the atmosphere. We're going to lose speed all day. This is as fast as they're going to be. Don't worry about it. You have a whole location you might be a little suspect of now. It's just going to get slower as the day goes on. And this is going to be fine. Uh, conversely, and what much more rarely the case, if we have a extremely low P-watt value and really cool temperatures, 
close to like frost temperatures really, that, that we can actually see is very rare. It's only happened three times in, I don't know, 200 events that I've worked over the years, but we actually green speeds actually go up a little bit during the day. Everybody thinks green speeds speed up as the day goes on, but they don't, all right? <laughs> so, so the, if, if, the, if green speeds sped up every day, we wouldn't have to mow the subsequent day, right? I mean, that's just, that's just, that's just a fact. But knowing that, that information, then the times that I can look at it, see guys are really low PWAT value, really cold air mass, we need to be careful, right? And if we have some wind and forecast and we could, all location, it might get dicer as the day goes on. And so those are things that, that again, it's not an everyday golf course has to worry about that kind of stuff. And, and they shouldn't, that's not something that we need to, need to waste our time with. But in what we do, again, we're in the prediction business and, and to, to be able to put uh, these officials and everybody at ease and say, look, this is, I feel very confident based on thousand sample sets, that this is what's gonna happen as the day goes on. And, and, and these guys are crucial, quite frankly, at, at helping us interpret that information when they're on site. Yeah, that precipitable water is basically the higher the value, the more moisture, the more, usually the more heat and humidity you have in the atmosphere, the lower the value, the less heat and humidity. But it, it is a crucial reading in that it, it's telling us how much water the atmosphere can squeeze out of a thunderstorm or out of that system as well. So the higher the value, you know, if it's precipitable water up around two inches or so, you know, you could get, you know, that high two to four inch type rainfall out of uh, certain systems. If it's extremely low, there's only so much water in the atmosphere. So then we can, you know, get a good idea on, yeah, we're going to have thunderstorms today, or we're going to have a large area of rain coming at us. We can let Bland, the agronomists, the rules officials, superintendents know with confidence how much rainfall we're likely going to have out of that system. Yeah, just knowing in the, in the absence of rainfall, just having that value, uh, it, it, it does impact what a, what a putting green does during the day. And, and not to really get in the weeds here, but you know, if you use you're measuring surface firmness through decelerometer principle, uh, you know, I'm getting all that. However, you know, uh, uh, the same number, the same measurement in, in firmness given the time of year or PWAT value, it is a difference in the way the green plays. And so using that PWAT value, we can stratify those those different or, or identical readings with the decelerometer firmness meter against one another using those PWAT values to kind of get a little better. And again, that's really splitting hairs. And, and I, I would, I'm not even sure that most of our players would recognize that difference. However, it is there and it is interesting. And, you know, sometimes we just get bored and have to entertain ourselves. <laughs> yeah, you, and Matt, you mentioned, you mentioned emerging technologies. Yeah. Uh, one of those is really on-site lightning det- detection systems. You know, they've been around for a while, um, but they're really starting to get more and more and more advanced. DTN currently uh, has released a new product called the OnGuard uh, Lightning Detection System, and we can set those up uh, at golf courses. It measures the, you know, a lot of these measure the electric field in, that's over the, the golf course. Those can be uh, not as accurate, actually, and can be really susceptible to false alarm rates. Uh, our system relies on actual detected lightning to warn customers via a, a horn and beacon system at a golf course that they need to clear the course we're at an uh, unsafe situation uh, for lightning. So when we're not there, it's taking real-time lightning uh, activity uh, to activate that horn and get everybody off uh, in a timely manner. 
in regards to emerging markets, I would say something that's coming to the forefront for weather risk communication, and that's kind of where the meteorologist's role is uh, advancing to is more risk communication, not just giving you a forecast, is in the commercial or cor- corporate event space. You think of the big Walmarts of the world or Boeing or Target or you know some of these really big corporations that hold large outdoor events with their stakeholders, with their employees, with their executives. They can't leave weather to chance, really. So we're starting to see more of our meteorologists involved with a large corporations for their, their outdoor events throughout the year. Uh, another area is parametric insurance. So you think about insurance companies that, you know, that are insuring these large outdoor events like festivals, large concerts, uh, heck, even PGA Tour uh, mm-hmm. tournaments. If, if those get rained out or you have a weather situation that causes damage, then they have to pay out you know, large sums of, uh, of money to these, uh, to their customers and their clients. So, however, if, if we partner with insurance companies, we can offer, and the insurance companies know that their customers are utilizing premier expert weather services and decision support solutions, they in turn give the, the customers lower premiums on their rates. Um, so it ends up actually being a mutually beneficial for not only the event organizer that needs insurance, but also the insurers. And then, you know, some of that for DTN as the weather provider as well. So it's a new, interesting uh, emerging space um, that we're really starting to be involved in. Weather plays an important role in golf course operations and business decisions, from knowing when to adjust chemical applications and mowing plans because of rain, temperature, humidity, and wind speed, to knowing when there's potential for severe weather. Being able to make those strategic decisions is even easier when superintendents have access to the most accurate and effective daily and longer-term forecasts. Find out how DTN can help you make the right call at www.dtn.com. And if we backtrack just a minute, Brad, to uh, the uh, lightning detection, I was just at a course maybe a month, month and a half ago in South Florida. And I don't know if they had that tech or if they had something else, but there was definitely the clear the course blaring that went off and then the all clear, I think it was three short bursts for that. Uh, is that a regional specialty or, or are you seeing a lot more of that really just across the United States in general? Yeah, it's, it's really across the United States and even globally as well. The U.S. is well ahead of I would say the rest of the world in regards to lightning safety, uh, we're starting to see lightning detection systems used more and more uh, on an international basis. So we have a weather division in Australia, right? Mining is actually very lar- a very large industry in Australia. One of their biggest industries in Australia is mining. And so they need to keep their people safe as well. They're doing a lot of blasting. They might have explosives. Uh, they have a lot of people in open pits. Uh, mining they, that they need to get to safety and equipment uh, that's out there. They utilize outdoor lightning detection systems as well uh, in the mining industry. So, and even uh, outdoor shows, you know, we cover large outdoor concerts for uh, Live Nation and a few other large kind of event organizers. And th- they need lightning detection systems, not just weather support from a meteorologist, but they, they'll typically install those 
uh, on site at their events as well. So you see those stories, right, of the thousands of people that die every year in India for being struck by lightning because Mm -hmm. they just they don't have the technology. It's not available to them. They don't You know, a lot of times they it's education as well. You know, people in, in other parts of the world don't see lightning as a major risk to to them but i think it's the more and more visibility we can get to lightning safety the better and we're starting to see a lot of government agencies across the globe really start taking it seriously uh, in regards to lightning lightning alerting technology lightning detection systems you name it you know it's really really starting to grow in visibility as a risk i know we're almost to the end of the hour so i don't want to take up too much of your time but i'll leave you with this Bland, Brad, what are you most looking forward to either in terms of this technology or just in general for the rest of this year and in the early next year? Well, the, the, the technology part of it, I, like, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm still trying to get caught up on what's out there right now. <laughs> so, I, but, but Brad makes the point. The more we can integrate all this stuff together to make it more end user friendly, I mean, right now uh, with all of the, as good as, weather site is, we still have to go through multiple different sites to get all the information that we need in the modeling, for example, um, the soundings and, and those type things. And I think the more that that can be integrated, I mean, I know, I know it already is kind of uh, in, in the back of the kitchen, so to speak, because all those algorithms that, that, that you know, DTN's site puts out are based on that, that modeling and stuff, but to have that raw modeling day, at least for me, I think is, is nice. However, um, like I said, I'm, I'm still... I'm still kind of swimming in the shallow end of the pool. So uh, it, it, any advance in technology is going to take me that much longer to catch up to it. <laughs> I feel like you're selling yourself short there. <laughs> oh, he's, he's totally selling himself <laughs> short there. Come on, Bland. <laughs> no, but he, he's right about bringing technologies together. You know, currently you have to go to one area to see view model data or view atmospheric soundings, and then you have to go somewhere else to view lightning data. You go somewhere else maybe to get high resolution radar, and then you have the on-site uh, lightning detection system is another piece. Um, but bringing all that that information together into one portal is really critical, I think, not only just to make it less annoying, but to save time, you know, when you're trying to make critical weather decisions and you, you know, you might not have a lot of time to do that. So bringing that together, I think is important. You know, one emerging technology that i I'm excited to be working on at DTN is future lightning type prediction. So bringing in the radar, the echo top information, the density, you know, basically the, the, the density of the rain or the hail in that cloud, the charge separation in the cloud, on-site lightning detection, bringing that all together to accurately predict lightning threat in the future. So you're thinking, and how nice would it be to know in three hours or in six hours, heck, even 12 hours, that I'm going to be at a, at a moderate or a high lightning risk from a thunderstorm at 3.30 this afternoon? I mean, you're going you're gonna to know, okay, I don't need to have to digest all the information and try to figure that out myself. I don't have to call up a meteorologist and consult with them. I can just 
take that algorithm. I know I'm going to have a lightning risk at 3.30 and use that information to make preparations on evacuation or, or golf course preparations. So it's really interesting. It's a, it's kind of new emerging work, but I'm really excited about that technology. And in regards to what I'm excited to actually travel for and work uh, the rest of the year, <laughs> you know, I, I'm really looking forward to being on site at the Ryder Cup in Wisconsin here in September. Um, I, it's one of the greatest events, tournaments, not only in golf, but just, you know, in any, in any sport to be a part of. Yeah, it's, it's really high pressure on me, high stress, but hopefully we actually are under high pressure and it's dry and quiet and I can kind of enjoy the week. But, you know, that's what I'm there for, for safety and, and for preparations and just to be that point person for, um, for the Ryder Cup is really exciting for me. And, and the rest of my year, I'm, I'm here in Atlanta for, uh, for this week and next week for the Tour Championship. And then I go in several weeks, as I mentioned earlier, to Jackson, Mississippi, to the Sanderson Farm Championship. Shortly after that, I go to Boca Raton for a Champions Tour event, the uh, Timber Tech Championship. And then I finish up my year in, in Sea Island, Georgia, for the, for the, uh, for the RSM, which, is, uh, which really is a, is a fantastic place to, to, to finish up the year. It's a wonderful, wonderful time of year, beautiful place. And then that's the week before Thanksgiving, and then I go into hibernation for, for about six weeks. And so if you, if you, need, you need me, you need, to, you need to come to my house and, and knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> already looking forward to uh just hunkering down and enjoying the end of the year i love it bland cooper championship agronomist brad nelson storm chaser thanks so much for uh coming on it's great to talk with you both thanks matt i appreciate you having us on it was great <laughs>